The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello and welcome to the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Max Carlin, and I'm joined as always by Jake Rosen. Jake, how you doing? I'm doing well today, Max. Definitely enjoyed part one. I'm looking forward to getting back into it in part two. Uh, and again, we have Henry Ward with us. He is not going to do any kind of intro thing because we're recording this in post. Um, so yeah, let's get into the episode. Yeah, I think the the one other issue that kind of crops up then is like, how, how often can you really acquire these guys, the, the the really high field ones? So there there are plenty in every draft, I would say. Um, but you have at most, well, not at most, but you in, in the natural state have one first and one second a year. Uh, if you have the, the say, if you have the talent to build around, the, the like the main guy to build around you're probably not bad because it's, it's hard to be bad barring, you know, like an injury year with, with an actual transcendent talent. So you don't have particularly high picks. Your second round pick is not worth very much. And is probably not capable of getting this, this caliber of player in a four year window, because that's all that a rookie contract lasts. Can you really get the four guys who can play together or, or sorry, well, I mean, it's, you know, that's not the only avenue to acquiring talent, but, but can you get enough guys in that window through the draft um, and then get those guys on the free agent market? Cause these are the type of guys that don't come available very often. Um, like can, how feasible is it really to get that in the window that you're actually working with to build a team? I think it's interesting you say that. Cause I think, yes, the peak, like the Draymond Scotty type thinkers are very few and far between uh, but I do think there's like a general market deficiency or inefficiency in terms of um, like free agents in this way. And even draft guys, like I was writing, like in our outline, we have some guys who might fit this bill. And I was writing some in like, you could feasibly pull like three of these guys from this draft considering like where guys' ranges are. Like if I had a lottery pick, I don't, I don't have like Thingathon up, but like, I know whatever, the Thunder have a million picks. Like let's say the Thunder have got like a top 10 pick, a, a, a later lottery pick and then two seconds you could pull like yeah you could do it if you're them but the, i mean they have a crazy surplus of picks right okay so bad example let's say you're whatever the nets um who are picking the the late you know i'm pretty sure they have like an early second for someone this year i might be making that up yeah i think um, you're right i think that that might be from then i'm not sure i think well, let's just like theoretically make up like you're a team that's like not great not horrible like you, you're picking at like 20 and then you're picking at like 45 and 50. I think you could theoretically pull, I mean, it's hard to say now because uh, everyone's so over the place in terms of like how I evaluate players, how you guys evaluate players. And then like, what are like 
quote unquote proxies for how the league's evaluating players are. Like I have no I mean, idea. We, could look, to we could look to last year, honestly. Yeah. Okay. So that's actually a good idea. But like for this year, I would say, I'll pull that up. Um, I would say like, you could walk away with like, you know, let's say you're in a position to get Scotty and then you could walk away with like Oksar Baji and David Johnson. And then I'm like pretty happy with how you turned out. Um, but I also think going back to what I was saying uh, while pulling up the draft in terms of marketing efficiency, there are, I think a lot of teams aren't thinking this way. And so the inverse is you get a lot of teams opting for like Wiggins, Malik Beasley type players over like, you know, Joe Ingles, Royce O'Neal type players. So there's, there are situations where, you know, Marcus Gasol's available on a veteran minimum. Uh, Jeff Green is like available on nothing. Like you get good players who aren't like, sure, they're not, you know, I'm not building my team around them, but like you have got to round it out. Like if you're, you know, theoretically if, they, if they're the weak link, you're okay. Yeah. You're fine with that. Um, you're more than fine with that. So like looking at, I just pulled up this year's draft or last year's draft. Let's say, you know, I mean, the Kings would be the obvious example because they walked away with Hallie and that's like, he was the peak of this last year. So the Kings picked at 12, they got Hallie. Um, obviously any team in front of that could have pulled the same player. Uh, I think, you know, it's a little bit tougher also last year. Cause I think generally looking at, <laughs> from being reminded that like all these, a lot of these guys fell actually as like top end talents. Like the other ones that pop up are obviously like LaMelo, Pat Will, Okoro, uh, Denny, Vassell, like all those guys went in the top 12. Um, but there are still, you know, like I, I would be, it's foreseeable that like, who knows what Landry Bolmaro is. Um, but like someone like that, or even like Jane McDaniels and then going down, you obviously have like Tillman, Bain, um, those types of players. So like they're around. Um, and it of course shakes out how it shakes out in terms of any given year, how is the rest of consensus going to be a player? Um, that's ultimately determines where they get picked, not like where you would pick them, obviously. Uh, but I don't think it's inconceivable to think that you can walk away from any given draft with like three guys who are like, you know, varied across the top 60 picks and feel good about how all of them fit into this sort of ideology. Yeah. I think you've convinced me actually that it's pretty feasible from a draft perspective that like you can, yeah, you, you, Henry, Henry is fist pumping for, for the, the listeners. Um, I, I think that, yeah, like assume you have the top end talent in place. Yeah. Like getting, getting Halliburton there is, is pretty crucial to the whole thing working, but you can get the, the weak link guys who are, attaining the level of intelligence that you need while being like functional functional enough from a skill standpoint. The wait is finally over. Football was in full effect and the NBA is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code Armchair to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. I don't think you necessarily the problem you run into. I don't think is finding the guys to complete the idea and complete the philosophy. It's it's approaching the draft or the free agency or the trade market with this high field philosophy and getting those stars who you ultimately need to win the championship. I think that's where because. In the draft, you can go all in on this approach, and I think you can walk away successful. 
this is someone we talked about. Obviously, Jalen Green is we're going to keep coming back to, but these big time players in the league, like right now, like Bradley Beal, and just maybe someone like Devin Booker, that's where you're going to have to swallow your pride a little bit and embrace the margin for error and embrace the leeway and say, okay, we have four other guys to insulate them, or we have a bunch of wings or switchable bigs off the bench and we can make this thing work. But so therefore I'm going to have to go in, I'm going to have to max out. I'm going to have to spend a high draft pick on someone that doesn't necessarily fit my overarching philosophy. I think that is probably a tougher pill and tougher task to achieve rather than just getting the guys that round out the lineup, if that makes sense. Without a doubt. I think, uh, that's the challenge for like, this is why when, you know, like when PD and I talk about this and PD is like, I just want to take all the wings I can and hope that one sticks, you know, that makes, I can't really, it's hard for me to argue that because you do ultimately need something like that. You do need like a, you know, an outlier, like a, a Booker, a, a Jimmy Butler, you know, like one of those situations where you, you're not invest, you don't have the top pick in the draft. You're not taking cage, you're not taking Zion. Like, and you still luck into a primary somehow. Um, and I say luck into like, you don't have control over who that is and how you develop them, but you know, quote unquote luck into. Uh, but I think part of why this philosophy is so attractive to me and why I've like stuck to it so much. And I believe in it is because even if you don't, the heat were so interesting to me last year, because even if you don't have this like predetermined top 10, top 15, like, stud on ball creator you can still compete at the highest level if you do everything else right like he did everything else right they obviously you know finding guys like bam at the end of the lottery tyler hero who tbd how good he's actually going to be but like obviously it was huge for them in the playoff series duncan's a udfa you know you're rolling out guys like i mean obviously jimmy is the crux of this and jimmy was like an outlier great development in terms of draft value um but like even let's just take Jimmy for what he was during the regular season. Like, I don't think anyone was saying that Jimmy Butler was like this, you know, offensive engine on a championship team. Um, so you can sort of like, this is the best way to sort of like fudge it in a certain way. Um, like, even if you don't strike on like the, the, uh, you know, unabetted, like unparalleled offensive, you know, engine talent that you often need, you can hopefully, if you do everything else perfectly right, manufacture a way to a championship that there, t- until this day, there's been no other way of doing that. Um, so that's part of the pitch in my opinion. Uh, but just as a little a little tangent, I know Max wants to say something, but I was kind of looking at uh, Draft Express's like top 100 whatever. Um, so that's like a, a thought idea of like who you could kind of get in these different pick ranges. Um, and point being is, they're all over this board this year. It's like, you know, you have, obviously you have the top three, you got Franz at nine, Scotty at 10, then you get, you know, Giddy at 13. Then you got like a pretty big drop off. You have Moody at 21, Zaire at 24, like just laughable, you know, Springer at 28, TSJ at 33, Deuce at 35. Like it just goes on and on. Kessler at 49, David Johnson at 60. Like, what are we doing here? Like these are all lottery picks. Um, But yeah, go ahead, Mac. Um, Yeah. I mean, yeah, the Heat had all of that. And then end of the game, they, they they did have Jimmy Butler as a fairly undeniable tough shot maker, foul drawer. Like, yeah, it, was, it, it, it wasn't like a heliocentric offense that ran through Jimmy entirely. But um, 
it was it was pretty central to I think to surviving late game in, in the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. You do need that a, a player to that level. I'm just saying that it's not going to necessarily be. It doesn't always have to be like the LeBron, Luca, Kade-ish sort of like they have everything type player. Um, yeah, you can get closer to manufacturing championship level success with. You're not going to do it without any primary creator. That's not going to happen. But like the primary creator thresholds lower, like pretty significantly lower, I think, when you incorporate this type of system. Sure. Yeah, that's, that's kind of my last question on feasibility. Um, Jimmy is a good example. Steph's a great example. Like these are guys who are committed and outstanding off-ball players, and they're willing to do it. Trey Young, I think, would probably have the intelligence level to do this, but he doesn't want to play off the ball. Um, and maybe he's an outlier, to, you know, to the other end of the spectrum. Uh, I mean, you can throw like Harden out there as well, but I do think that there's like a real issue of interpersonal dynamics here of like, what if you tell Steph Curry that this is how we want to play and Steph Curry doesn't want to do that. Like he wants to run 50 pick and rolls a game. I, I think that that's probably like, especially when you're talking about like, you know, the mindset that it takes to be an elite athlete, um, I think it probably is fairly common, actually, that you're not going to have guys who are going to want to buy into, like, Steph Curry setting big off-ball screens. Like, a lot of guys are not going to want to do that. Yeah. I mean, that is uh, 100% something I take into my taking into account, like, draft philosophy-wise. And it's ultimately why I, like, went into, like, the new year thinking Sharif was, like, a top-10 pick, and I now don't even know if I'd pick him um, for that exact reason. Like, there is uh, a high level of buy-in that's required um, because it's not what anyone's really been raised on, most likely. Uh, it's a change of pace for anybody who's getting this level. Um, and especially, obviously, because like, if you're good enough to make it to the NBA um, and you're good enough to be like a, a significantly, you know, a worthwhile score in the NBA, you were unbelievable growing up to the point where it didn't make any sense uh, to do anything else but give you the ball and just let you decide whatever you want to do with it. Um, I think a selling point, now, I'm, now I feel like a used car salesman, like why should you want to play in the system? Uh, I think it is super fun when you get into it. Like that's how everyone that I know, like personally, and I would say 95% of the people I played basketball with or came across working in basketball that played uh, would agree that like, this is the most fun way to play, like moving the ball a ton. Everyone's constantly in motion. You're always doing stuff off the ball for someone else um, in a very decentralized offense. I think that's way like, sure. It's not, it's a little bit less fun for the primary maybe who would prefer just like, like Trey, just like come off of high screen and rolls all game. But for everyone else, it's way more fun. Um, and I think, yes, we had this conversation a while ago, Max, with our, our good friend, Andrew Kelly, of like why I don't like Trey at all as a a few a, a long-term primary to invest in um, is that issue. And I think that, yeah, it's not built for everybody. I, I, that's that's fine. I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge that it's not, this isn't the status quo. Like it's not what people are used to and it's not like what people, a lot of people were raised on. Um, but we can't like let... Um, we can't let like fears of, you know, interpersonal adoptability 
like shut down a philosophy of like, this is getting super meta, but like, if you're going to like push innovation in basketball, eventually people are going to get uncomfortable and eventually people are like not going to be used to it. And eventually people are going to be like, this isn't going to work. And you're gonna have to argue with them and tell them why it would work. And like many times you can't prove it until you have the pudding. Um, but, and unfortunately my pudding to this point is only like one D three team, but that D three team, I, I wrote about it in my first exposing the blueprint, like St. Joe's did this and the returns were unbelievable. Um, so hopefully as people come, you know, become more comfortable to it, as I get better explaining it, as I get better sort of like selling it to people, um, then the people I talk to hopefully are more willing to adopt it. And sure, that's a, a hurdle with any sort of like quote unquote innovation is like the reason it's innovation is because no one's doing it yet. So if everyone's really to like willing and able to just do what they used to do and that's all, that's fine. And sure, like we can do that. But I think that this is like one way of pushing past that. And so there are going to be hurdles and you will run into players who aren't going to want to do this. Uh, but I'll kindly just tell them to like F off. <laughs> like you kind of, like a certain point I want just guys like, I want the guy anyway to just like more reflective of other and other basketball traits that like, if you're not willing to, you know, sacrifice some on-ball touches because everyone's offensive rating is going to go up, then what the hell, why, what are you looking for? Like, I, I don't know. It's getting, this is getting super like out of hand, but point being is, yeah, not everyone's going to like it. Um, many people probably think it's dumb Many people probably think it won't work and they don't want to be involved, but those aren't the people that will be on the first team that does this and wins a championship or whatever it may be. That's fine. So in, in, as in all honesty, you've hit on the, like that last brand was the point that I, I think is ultimately the biggest hurdle. It's not the actual viability of the system. It's not how reasonable it is because we've seen this, like it, I, I, we it, we can say it's innovative and it hasn't been done before, but it has been done before. The Spurs did it. The Warriors did it. Like those are two teams that have had massive, massive successes in the past 10 years. And we can all agree that aesthetically and results wise, like that's peak basketball. The issues that I think that as someone who's like played high school basketball, played on certain AU teams with, with certain players who possess a, a lot of skill set, but just aren't mentally there to buy into a, a system like this. And maybe they don't have the the mental and capabilities, honestly. And that's one thing. And that's a certain area to tackle. But I think the buy-in is something that's really interesting. And it's something that if I were a GM and I was going all in on this system, uh, um, certain intel and certain interview questions would be so crucial to me because I think buying in is such a vital aspect. And I think it's so easy once you see it works. And I think we saw that with the Warriors is that Draymond can now look at everyone that comes after and say, yo, like if you're not moving, like you're the one who's killing us because look at what we did when everyone was moving. That's the blueprint. And I think it's much easier once it's been done and you've been a part of it and you know, it can work. But I do think there are certain hurdles that honestly go beyond basketball. And that's what I'm super fascinating or super fascinated in, in seeing where certain organizations go with this. So, uh, I mean, I should say too, this is, I, this is a long overdue credit, but, uh, I get most of, if not all of these ideas from, uh, Noah LaRoche, who's an NBA trainer who I've, I used to work for, for four years, um, like kind of been a mentor. And he is the one who's taught me a lot of the stuff. And Noah, in his in the his off season, which is the NBA regular season, um, 
he's from New Hampshire. He comes out to LA to train the summer. When he goes back, he would oftentimes, I don't know if he does anymore, but he would teach or coach like uh, youth teams. And he would tell you all the time that like the, the best teams to run this stuff with is youth teams. Cause there's none of that. Like, and he would also tell me how like he would do it with, you know, 13 U 12 U teams and they'd come up against like the classic, like, AAU dominant, you know, six foot four center in like AAU. And it's like, oh, that kid is getting recruited to the local like prep school, whatever, because they're all from the Northeast. Um, and they would run those teams out of the gym with like a bunch of like random middle schoolers because they would run the system and no one could keep up. Uh, and that's like, that's this Noah's favorite way of describing it. It's like, A, the best thing to do or the best way to run it is with kids. Uh, and B, that if you run it with kids, like the returns are always great. Um, but also there is, um, you know, there is a certain level of like, like you said, Jake, I don't, I like, it, I don't want to like sound cocky, but you can point to pretty similar situations. Like you outlined, like the Spurs and the Warriors. And I can just like flip on that tape and sit you down without saying anything and be like, what do you think of this basketball? Like, well, how does this offense look to you? And everybody who knows anything about anyone would be like, yeah, this looks great. And I'd be like, so why don't we all run it? Like it works. Like, let's just do it. Like that's, it's that easy. Um, but then of course you get, you know, curmudgeons like Max who have plenty of questions. I'm kidding. Uh, but like there it's, it's fair to poke holes, but, and there, I think we've also in this conversation, uh, Doug done a good job, uh, digging into like what needs to happen in terms of from a T-building perspective and what you need and kind of the viability of it and certain, um, pillars that are required. But I do think ultimately, like if you have the pillars in place and someone's not buying in, I would sit them down in the fill room and I would say, so watch what Steph Curry did. And wh why do you think Steph Curry is considered like one of the best point guards ever? Like, obviously it's a lot of talent, but like it, it's not happening if he's running the Damian Lillard type stuff. Like it's just not happening that way. The reason he's considered one of the best point guards ever uh, at the level that he is and the way he changed basketball is because of what they were doing. Like, that's just how it is. It's why Manu Ginobili is going to be a Hall of Famer after making two all-star teams. It's why, you know, all of these... There's plenty of historical precedents. Um, so ultimately that's like what I would do. I'd just be like, hey, this could be you if you could just suck it up and stop whining around pick and roll. Um, but yeah, I think it's pretty easy after that. I think that we should appoint Henry PD and like Eric Mobley to like this, to start the American Academy system and have all of the like elementary school kids playing basketball like this. And we're just going to, we're going to teach ego free basketball from the age of five. Uh, and everyone, everyone is going to be like a processing genius uh, and it'll be great. Basketball in 2040 will be really dope. Um, Henry, I think you delivered a very good defense of, of this philosophy. Um, unless you guys want to go for like four hours where, and, and since we like, we did weave in a lot of the 2021 guys throughout this, Henry, are there any guys that you like very specifically want to touch on? Because um, we probably can't go through all of the guys that we have listed. And, and we've, we've touched on, on so many of them already. The wait is finally over. Football is in full effect and the NBA is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code Armchair to take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Bet Online, 
your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, so the two guys that stand out most are Scotty Barnes. Um, I'll start with Scotty. Just like the level of uh, level of fuel in that body at six nine with a plus wingspan. I know that you know there's concerns about athleticism. There's concerns about shooting. Uh, I'm personally okay betting on the shooting to a certain extent, and then the processing is just so high level that that level of thinking in that sort of frame um, is a little bit, you know, it's, it's special. And so I think that that's a, a specialty I see in him that is not maybe foreseen by whoever else. And that's one guy I just, I would go to bat for uh, the other being David Johnson, who similarly um, I think maybe underwhelms with sort of on ball creation. And he did shoot a lot better this year, but historically not a great shooter. Um, and there are, you know, natural concerns about that being given that he's, you know, six, five and whatever, uh, you'd hope for some more advantage creation out of that. But as someone who's making such quick decisions, reading the floor so well, um, really driving an offense without really ever having to touch the ball for more than five seconds of possession, those players are few and far between. And that's someone I don't also invest in, but then, you know, there's also the guys we kind of touched on throughout the episode, like, um, Okchak Baji, I'm a big fan of for that reason. Deuce McBride, of course, Kessler. Um, and at the top, you have guys like, you know, Moody, Springer, Franz, who are all fit that bill. Um, but DJ and Scotty are like the two that stand out most of like, okay, I would really, in a, in a war room, go to bat for these guys over a lot of people's, you know, foreseen guys that should go ahead of them just because I've, I'm so ready to bank on that, that level of processing. Yeah, I think if you're actually constructing offense like that, then I, I can totally get behind that. But I think that, you know, since so few NBA teams are playing like that, that's what I think comes into play with the, with the projection there. It's like, we, like you said, like we, we agree on these evaluations. Like we, we both see Scotty Barnes and see a guy who can't jump, whose finishing is, is severely limited, who at the moment can't really shoot. Yet, undeniably, you know, incredibly intelligent uh, player and processor and, and has some skills to, to unlock that and the functionality of his passing. Um, but it's just a question of how, how is he going to be deployed that makes the projection so hard? Like the, you know, the evaluation relative to projection is, is a lot easier uh, because, you know, it's, it's evident what, how good a guy is at, at certain things that he's asked to do. And yeah, it just, it, I think, I think like th- these guys totally make sense if you were put in charge of building a team and building it. And that is the key word and something I've talked about a lot with Jake recently um, is something I'll say again and again for myself, just speaking for myself, like if I ever publish, you know, any sort of value statements on like where I think a guy should be picked or like a ranking of any kind, like it's all done from the perspective when I, whenever I'm doing it, it's all done from the perspective of like, what would I do if I was in the seat? Like if I'm making a decision what's the decision I'm making. I'm never really in the business of like, I just think it's too hard. Like you said, Max, like that's, it's way too hard for me to like sit down and be like, okay, well, you know, if he goes here, here, and here, this is what would happen. If he goes here, here, and here, this is what would happen. Like sitting down and like trying to project all of these things that I have no control over is worthwhile in a public sphere because you it's help content. people sort of, yeah, it's content. You help people learn. And like when fans of teams tune in, like it helps them sort of foresee what they can expect and, all of that, but I just don't, I'm like not in that business. So I just purely stick to what I would do. So it's an important distinction. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I've been fully radicalized on the like abolish big boards thing. Um, <laughs> well, just because 
like I, you know what? I can tell you what skills a guy has, what he's good at, but I don't know how you're going to use him or what you're going to ask of him. And then, you know, uh, you know, Peyton Pritchard's a great example, like had a lot of limitations as a college primary, like really struggled to create advantages, really struggled to make decisions, um, was a really poor on and off ball defender. Part of that is, you know, size and, and certainly, um, you know, intelligence as a, as a basketball player, but also, you know, energy that was then again, stemming from that, from that, uh, primary role. But if you can just isolate that Peyton Pritchard was an exceptional shooting prospect, uh, something I definitely missed on because his shooting percentages were, were impacted by that primary role. If you can just isolate that and spot him up from 30 plus feet, you have a valuable player. Um, and then especially if, you know, the other effects of, of, uh, you know, his struggles as a primary are mitigated, right? That like, if you're relying on him to create fewer advantages and make fewer decisions with the ball in his hands, and he's expending less energy on offense, then you have this guy that isolating these skills, he's a really worthwhile player. Um, but you wouldn't necessarily get that if you were projecting based on what you saw in college and, and just the fact that, you know, he's like a six, one guard. Uh, those guys typically aren't deployed as, as like mega spacers or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that projecting is really tough and can't be done wholesale. Like, it has to be done in a very specific context. Um, and, and that would sort of – the projection changes your, your rankings a lot. Like, if you tell me very specifically what you're going to ask of this player, then maybe, then maybe you could perform a ranking. But, but um, just broad, broad rankings don't make a lot of sense. And I'm sure if you, if you were asked to do broad, broad rankings – they would, they would be very, very different from you evaluating these skills and how they fit into your, you know, preferred philosophy that we've been going over for a long time now. Yeah. yeah. And one point I'll just add before we move on to the spotlight skills and, and conclude the show is I think it's kind of impossible and he got hinted at before, but I think Tyrese Halliburton is the ultimate data point for this one, for me, at least. I spent a lot of time over honestly overthinking uh, what kind of role is he going to play what team is he going to go to what draft slot is reasonable and ultimately i i was kind of rereading my older pieces and after months and months of thinking and thousands of text messages corresponded it really i wrote two sentences at the conclusion and it's basically all it really boils down to is if you're going to ask tyrese halliburton to be an uh, off-ball linking player then sure go for it. Take him however high you want because he's absolutely going to excel there. If you're relying on him as your point guard and the role he played at Iowa State his sophomore year, then I'm not really sure I would even touch that in the lottery. And he is next to De'Aaron Fox, which is a dreamlike scenario for him for being alongside someone who can win so easily in the half court with that burst of speed and just playing off of him and making positive decisions, drawing closeouts, attacking closeouts, and just doing all the little things that we knew he was capable of, but was clearly overextended at Iowa state. Yeah. On my broad board, looking back on it, I will have had him way too low, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I whiffed on the evaluation, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, I, I just, I couldn't bring myself to try and like guess how people will be seen and used and all that stuff. It's just too hard. Like I'd, I'd rather just be able to, cause you know, ultimately like if you're doing this for a living, um, depending on like how you're doing it, but like if you're working for a team, like 
your job with the team is like to rank the players in the order you would take them because you're the ones making the decision. So like, that's how I view a big board. Like if I'm going to put out a big board, it's because you know, I'm on the clock. I'm just Xing out players at a certain point, And like, once I've like, you know, X'd out everyone by in front of a certain guy, the guy at the highest is just like who I'd probably take. Um, that's how I would do it. But yeah, I think there's, like I said, there's value to the other side too. It's just a lot harder and just not something I can do. All right. I think that that will do it for the main discussion. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, Henry, did you have any spotlight skill guys you wanted to get into? Uh, I did. Or do you uh, want to go last? No, I mean, oh. I can go now. It's, All it's, right. uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty quick. I was, um, this past week, uh, I was watching James book night, uh, who I'm, I think is an interesting sort of data point in this, uh, discussion too, of like drafting guys you would take and use versus like projecting how guys will be in the NBA. Cause not a huge book night, um, you know, investor personally, but can see him very successful in other ways. Uh, but what definitely stood out to me, um, is his tight space body control it's really something that will like fully buoy him, you know, if you are in the business of projecting outcomes and trying to like order a big board in terms of how you think looking back, it will look, uh, book night, someone to potentially bet on at a certain point because of his, um, whether or not the shooting comes around fully, he didn't have a great efficiency year, but pretty low sample size and pretty high degree of difficulty. Um, his ability to attack closeouts and then, um, you know, at UConn, he was like the only guy that required any sort of offensive attention or defensive attention, uh, apart from like RJ Cole sometimes. Uh, so what you got was like a lot of these situations where book nights coming off of like weave actions or DHOs and going into like a crowded key. And he maneuvered them in a way that was always surprising to me, like very good at reading like movement patterns and then readjusting himself and like stopping and starting in tight spaces in terms of adjusting like hop step lengths, which is like something that's very difficult to do and very impressive and a very translatable skill in terms of like how he will be able to finish around bigger bodies and in the NBA. Um, So just something that really stuck out to me is like, okay, James Booknight, whether or not, you know, depending on your evaluation of him depends on a lot of things, but like, I think at the very least he's going to stick to an extent unless he really can't shoot um, because he's always going to be able to like really take advantage of closeouts in a way that not a lot of guys can. Yeah. His, his tight space body control is wild. It, it produces the the effect of the, the, like he really is walking in air. Um, like, like he, he maneuvers his body in the air in tight spaces in a way that, that shouldn't be possible when you're not on the ground because he has such unique control over it, um, which leads to some like incredible body control and extension finishes. Um, yeah. yeah, he's certainly very, very skilled uh, on the interior as a scorer. I've mentioned, I've mentioned it um, on this pod before, I think, but the clip is on my Twitter somewhere when I was going through the binge while I was writing about him. Uh, he has had one of the crazier finishes that I've ever seen, honestly. A was on a fast break and was going for like a reverse, like up and under kind of finish and contorted his body to get around the defense and then had the ball stripped from him in midair, regained the ball, 
and was able to flip it up for an and one. And just you guys talked about the the hang time or the body control. I want do want to bring up like his hang time as well and how the two work in conjunction with each other just to make for these wild circus finishes that he makes look way too easy. Um, how he's able to get there and and arrive at the rim that's sort of a different conversation but when he does have the time and space to clear for takeoff um it's really entertaining he would be very good at twister that's my thing book (laughs) body control analysis uh jake did you have anyone yeah so um i feel like this is fits right into everything we're talking about all day uh joel i i have his cutting and off-ball movement in general as a huge pilot skill i he was very crucial in gonzaga's offense and i think was probably the more most underrated key contributor um just sort of did his thing quietly all year nothing he does is super flashy it doesn't get a ton of on ball pick and roll reps but he absolutely makes the most of every little window and he is just in an admirable habit of every time there's a pick and roll um, where he is not necessarily getting a wide open shake catch and shoot look, he's cutting to the basket. And he's basically the epitome of cutting creates spacing. It's somewhat counterintuitive. And I think some people are, are like refrain from actually buying into that theory, but there are countless times in, in one single game that I watched where uh, Ayayi will cut and he won't get the ball, but he'll draw a tag from someone else that will result in a catch and shoot three for someone for a teammate and um again it it sort of goes along with the unorthodox way of thinking that that we've been talking about and the off-ball democratic movement principles but yeah i definitely want to highlight ii's cutting and off-ball activity because some of the most more impressive and most impressive cuts and relocations for him are, are ones where he doesn't necessarily even get the ball. So it's impossible for it to show up in the box score, but the, the impact is absolutely there. Yeah. Um, Ayayi is, this is something that we had, I had like written in the outline, but it didn't touch on, but I've touched on in many other, if you really want to listen to me talk about it for an hour, you can go to the sentence scalability podcast that I was on. Um, but it is the idea that you can create spacing without, shooting sometimes um and cutting is a great way to do that and a guy is like the absolute pinnacle in this year's class of a guy that like totally excels and created so many looks for for shooters and for other guys just by because ultimately you create spacing by commanding gravity and a great way to command gravity is by doing something that requires everybody to pay attention to you at the same time um of course if you're a shooter just standing there requires that but cutting if you're not a shooter is an amazing way that doing that as well uh and AI is so good at timing that I'm glad you brought that up, Jake. Yeah, that I mean, that team had a lot of guys who were really good cutters who, you know, the timing on their cuts was excellent. And yeah, like like Jake mentioned, not just cuts that end in you know layups, but cuts that are creating advantages for other people. Uh, and AI, I think, was certainly the best at it. Like he he was a really exceptional cutter for that team and and, and very central to what they did. Um, in a way that's fitting to what we've been talking about today. Um, so I have a couple. Uh, the first is, is I think, not in line with, with uh, Henry's philosophy. Uh, Sandro Mamukelashvili's role this year with Seton Hall was pretty hilarious. He was just like this absolute mega creator who did everything, like host touches, pick and roll ball handler, pick and roll roll man. He was just doing everything. Uh, really insane role, very overextended. Um, I think that if we're to do a pop, like an episode on insane roles or like 
draft year film that's very unrepresentative, uh, I think that, that would, Sandra this year would definitely fit. Um, he, he was asked to do a lot. Uh, I, would, I would say too much. Um, the, the other guy, unless you guys have anything to add on, on Sandro, um, Josh Giddy. So I'm stealing this, I think from PD, maybe from Henry. Am I stealing it from you, Henry? No, it's uh, PD was the one that covered it a lot in the breakdown, but it's something we had both talked about in the sort of lead up to our stream. So I mean, I'll take some credit for it, but not all yeah. of it. Obviously, Henry referencing the the really awesome uh, uh, live stream that he and PD did on Twitch. That I, actually, I, like we can talk about it a little bit more at the end uh, with stuff to plug because it was really cool uh, and a very uh, inventive thing to do and very well executed. Um, but yeah, Josh Giddy. We're we're talking about Josh Giddy's advantage perception. Um, so this is PD introduced me to the term because it was kind of looking for something to explain how Josh Giddy sees the floor. That and there are, there are multiple things that this encompasses. So it's like before any action even starts, whether it's in semi transition or just outright in the half court, Josh Giddy's view of the entire court is such that he is seeing every single potential crease that opens. So if it's semi-transition and something as simple as like the guy in the opposite corner is not picked up, like he is throwing that skip. Or if he's running a pick and roll and the low man, like before he even takes a dribble, the low man in the weak side corner is, is pre-rotating over to the helpline, he's skipping it to the weak side corner. It, it's that sort of thing. But it's also that when he's running a pick and roll that he's, feeling where where his teammates are and where the defenders are so that if he snakes this and and you know his roll man is able to roll into open space with with no one in the corner that these rotations are going to have to come so that this kick out to the opposite wing is open like he's he, he's seeing all of this at at a really unique level just his understanding of one how the entire court is set up, and then two, where to get on the court so that the geometry is like as he wants it is really unique. And I think a demonstration of some pretty exceptional feel. Yeah, I think you did a really good job explaining it, Max. The one thing I would add, which is so impressive with him, like there's tears to it and he is just like on another plane because of this is like, um, he does it without the ball. Like he's so good at hockey assists and like most, the most like quote unquote mundane things, but he can see like nine steps ahead of the play. So what I mean by this is, you know, Max described all the situations where he has the ball in his hands and he knows that he'll do something that will cause a reaction that he can exploit. And he knows that the end result is going to be the same. Like he can foresee the end result and he knows how to get there and force that result. And then he knows how to exploit that end result. But beyond that, he can also like uh, he can see things two passes ahead. So like he'll be at the top of the key and make a simple like look off swing pass because he knows that that swing pass only means like all he needs is like one more swing and then it's an open corner three. Or he'll do like a he will um, my favorite play from the breakdown that we did that I actually didn't get to talk about in the actual stream. But there's a play where he's taking the ball out of bounds on the baseline. And he lob, he throws like a half-ass pass, lobbed up to like a classic sort of like baseline out of bounds, like cop-out play, lobs it out. And then no one 
attaches to him. So he just jumps in at the block and he knows he's not getting the ball, but he knows that someone has to respond to him jumping at the block and it opens up a wide open three. Like he, that's it's the processing is so crazy. And just in terms of like, Oh, if I do this, this will happen and that'll happen. Like no one's thinking the game that fast is just way too hard. Um, but he is, and he creates so many looks without even like touching the ball sometimes that it's so valuable to have someone like that on your team. Yeah. yeah we've talked about that with David Johnson before that he makes a lot of simple passes where it's just like him, him moving his body around the court is the pressuring the defense. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? 
In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Um, yeah, and one of my favorite things in, in basketball, honestly, um, maybe I'm biased because I feel like I did this a lot when I like used to play basketball, is when you'll like you make a simple swing pass and then immediately like I wish for this one I wish you had video but like I'll visualize like you're you make your simple sk- swing pass and you point and you're pointing like to the corner like one more one more and like Giddy excels there David Johnson excels there and it's just like look I see this pass I can't make it because I don't have the angle but I know exactly where the ball needs to go and I, I remember Holly doing it a bunch last year as well I think that's probably the ultimate one of the ult- more telling signals of processing speed is look like I'm not just like, I, I know I can't get this pass through, but I know what needs to get done. And I think when I see that, like that was probably one of the more fun things to see on film. And another thing that I talked about, like in my processing speed piece before I wrote before the season started is like this idea of off ball passing and reading the defense before the ball gets to you. And that's what I love from Giddy is I think where he absolutely excels and why why I can be a little bit more optimistic about his NBA role is that he is six, nine and he can go off the ball a little bit. And he absolutely is off the charts reading the defense before the ball gets to him. And he knows exactly where it's going to, where he's going to go with it before he touches it. And one play it's super telling to me is in a typical ball screen continuity, usually you run your pick and roll and you just hit the bailout swing back to the to the wing like usually that's a sign of okay we're that didn't work they shut down that action we're regrouping but no giddy is gonna still hit the roller for this delayed no look like frozen rope on a zip from the wing and like that's just the little things that you can't really teach and it's either there it's not and it's really fun when you see it on film yeah Yeah. it's super fun too because he has all these like childish mannerisms. Um, if you watch his games, like he'll oftentimes it's a podcast, so you can't see me, but he'll like he'll run around like with two hands in front of his face, just constantly asking for the ball. Um, so he'll like that then morphs into like you described, Jake, of there are moments where he'll swing it and then it'll be like you can see his like his eyes light up and his arms start moving. And it's like he's pointing for where he wants the ball to go. Like there's a play that me and PD did cover in the stream where he uh looks off, he's like in a pick and roll that stagnates and he looks off Jack White on the wing and throws the ball to the corner. And the guy in the corner just throws in an immediate sort of like delayed entry pass on the roller. who's wide open. Uh, and the second he whips the ball to the corner, you can see him like get a little like, Oh, like pointing towards the, the roll man. It's really funny, but yeah, Josh Goody is lovable. That's the, that's the point of the quote. Yeah. I, like in, in the spirit of the breakdown you guys did, like my, my advice when watching some Josh Giddy, because I think that all of the NBL games are available on Twitch for anyone who wants to watch them and would recommend them. They're a lot of fun. Um, watch how many, like it might look simple, but watch how often Josh Giddy is putting his teammates in advantage situations or in just positions to score outright. Um, that, that, that I think is like the end result of what we're talking about is that he is constantly putting his teammates in advantage situations or scoring position um, in ways that look really easy. Yeah, completely. It's, and there oftentimes they'll end up with nothing. Like oftentimes there'll be plays where he'll throw a pass and he, it's because he knows that something can come of it, but that guy who has the ball on doesn't see the pass. So it just looks like nothing, but if you're really tuned in, you can kind of notice when those are, and it's, it's super fun. Because it's a weak link philosophy. <laughs> exactly. And that that brings us 
full circle, I think. Um, yeah. Unless you guys have anything to add, uh, this is going to end up being part two um, because <laughs> we went super long. Um, but hopefully you guys enjoy listening. This We're really glad to have Henry on. Uh, Henry, we can follow you at Henry W. Ward Correct. on Twitter. Correct. Yeah, and and I'll I'll also add to to check out the recording of the stream that Henry did with PD. So PD did the first edition where he's going to be live breaking down some film on Twitch, uh, and Henry was the first guest, which was a very smart decision because as you guys have heard, Henry is really smart um, and articulate and does well uh, on the spot defending his his philosophy. Um, so they they did that stream on Twitch. It was really, really exceptional. Um, you know, PD had been putting a ton of work on it. Henry had been putting in a ton of work on it. Um, the The final product was was really amazing. It, it's a, a really innovative and new piece of content uh, in basketball in general, I think, but certainly in the draft space. I would highly recommend watching it because it's fun and cool, and you get to see uh, or hear two really, really smart people talking about basketball um, and talking about Josh Giddy, which, which is, which is a good time. Um, so check that out for sure. Uh, you can follow me at Max A. Carlin. You can follow Jake at Jake in the paint and you can follow the pod at prep to pro pod. Anything to add gentlemen? Um, Thank you, Max, I will add the, the very kind words. Go ahead, Jake. No, I will add, um, I can't seem to quite get rid of Henry. I have to talk with him again about basketball stuff <laughs> this Wednesday on the locker room app. Um, we've done two so far. I've had a ton of fun with them. It's been awesome seeing people in the comments, feeding us questions, interacting. Uh, and of course those recordings will be available after on my Twitter. So if you can't tune in live, no worries. Um, so yeah, definitely check those out as well. Yeah. Just want to say quick thanks to both of you guys for having me on. Thank you very much for, uh, the praise max the stream was a lot of fun hopefully we get to do a couple more in the future um other than that yeah not nothing to plug except for me and jake's locker room show which is always a ton of fun um we'll actually have i don't know when you guys plan on publishing this but should be i have a uh another five point play coming out on friday so hopefully that is coincides well with the uh with the pod release, um, there's going to be basically two more of those. I was doing them weekly during the season, but obviously not as much to cover when no one's playing, but going to do like a couple draft preppy ones this week and next. Uh, so it should be fun. But yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you, Henry. All right. I think Jake, that'll do, do you it. want to record an extra intro and outro right now? Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, I'm going to. Outro then intro? Yeah. Yeah. Just now or another file? Um, I'm going to do another file.